Welcome to DIA Today, Democracy in America Today. I'm Matt Parks alongside Dave Corbin. Glad to have you with us to explore the ideas behind today's events. My lift, I seize pollution. Those dirty fuels are burning. The Earth's whole climate's churning. Clean energy solution. My ride, I scans the bill. Fossil fuels are cheap. Wind and solar too steep. Tragic day in Southwest Texas yesterday, Dave. Yeah, I think every um, leader and parent's uh, worst nightmare, perhaps, along with a, a student taking their own life. Uh, so, yeah, horrible. And uh, I think that just uh, once again reminds us of, uh, you know, the limits of what we can do. And, and uh, we live in a fallen world and, and, uh, and where, we, um, where we seek ultimate peace and, and, and how we achieve that. So. Uh, the city of man that we live in um, poses, you know, amazing challenges and, and suffering, uh, which is why uh, we're, we're thankful and we're made strong uh, by our recognition uh, that our Redeemer lives. He has his hand upon us uh, and uh, he will work all things uh, toward his good end. Yeah, our pastor's sermon last Sunday was, was about peace from the end of Second Thessalonians and really made the point quite explicitly that you know, we search for peace in this world. Uh, we search for answers to our various social and personal problems. And of course, we're able to chip away sometimes, you know, public policy can help and certainly education can help. We've been talking about that on the show this season quite a bit, uh, but there are limits and uh, Christ is our peace. Uh, his millennial kingdom will be truly uh, one of peace. He is the, the Prince of Peace after all. And so uh, we look forward to that uh, and certainly, you know, brings to mind some of those things as we come into the end of a school year and, and uh, whatever challenges, certainly less than faced by that school that we've, we've been through over the last year and look forward to some measure of a break, maybe a little bit of peace or, or more peace over the course of the summer ahead. Yeah, that's definitely, I think, uh, a great theme to end a school year on uh, the uh, the peace of Christ and the rest in Christ. And uh, I think that while we're in this world, it's good to work those muscles, the, the kind of the muscles of eternal tranquility. And, and that involves um, you know, being in God's word. It involves meditation. Uh, it involves, um, you know, trying to just take a break and not to be, you know, slothful, but, but to, uh, to think about eternal things, right. And, and that enterprise of, you know, rest in eternal things is, um, I think, essential. So you hope, right? It's a busy, frenetic season with um, celebrations and all the rest. But one of the things that you hope that you pass on uh, to your graduating seniors, uh, one of the things that you hope you pass on to, to families uh, is that that rest is essential, right? That that really is the rest in Christ, the eternal um, rest in Christ is the end of our education. Uh, celebrate, uh, but then um, just place within the uh, bigger reality of, of, of who we are and what it'll have us do. Uh, we're now at the end of aerosols politics. I think we've managed to um, decimate our listener base by having them go through 
almost literally. <laughs> yeah, we really have. So we, I think we started out with about 150 listeners uh, per week, and we're down to um, a hearty 50 listeners. Who, who, who are you, those 50 individuals who, who continue to listen as we, uh, perhaps you would say, uh, plod through uh, Aristotle? <laughs> uh, but it's over. Uh, you know, you've, you've, you've survived if you've listened to the very end. I, I know at least your parents, Matt, have, have listened to the, the, the very end. And I think we have one or two people that we know of. But uh, you other 46 who are out there, uh, congratulations. Um, so uh, we take up uh, chapters five through seven, the end of book eight uh, for today. And here Aristotle discusses the subject of music and, and what music is. And why do we have music in our lives and how does music relate to a broader education? So he suggests at the beginning of chapter five that you can think of the nature of music and and what its end is in three ways. Uh, Music music allows us uh, to have amusement and relaxation. So like um, sleep or drinking, uh, which may not be good in themselves, but are pleasant, he writes, uh, music can also provide something pleasant uh, for us. Uh, music also can conduce to virtue. Uh, it, it, can, um, it can be something that inspires us to do the right thing or, or molds our character. And then thirdly, uh, it contributes to mental cultivation. And uh, this could be uh, another reason why uh, we ought to look at music in, in a serious way. So these, these three things, music for the sake of amusement and relaxation, uh, music for the sake of virtue and music for the sake of education are really kind of the, the parameters in which he has this conversation at the end of, of the politics. So he's going to frame the whole question of music uh, as, as an en- educational uh, endeavor. And he's going to say the following. We ought to be aiming right for higher pleasures and education uh, allows us to see what those higher pleasures are and um, directs us toward those higher pleasures. But music may be able uh, to provide a sort of entertainment or lower pleasure that has a good effect on on people. Uh, Here, um, properly pursued, he writes, it can produce, quote, an alleviation of past toil. So, it can produce common pleasure, he says. Now, that's not going to be, I think, at the end of the day, what, what we're after. But at least here he recognizes that there is, there's a certain type of music that, broadly speaking, can play into kind of a, a common happiness. Yeah, I think that's how many, many people experience music, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on the, the subway or on the train. Of course, lots of people have something in their ears and some of them are listening to podcasts, maybe uh, others are uh, listening to uh, music though, primarily. And, and yeah, it, it's a way of passing the time. It's a way of relaxing. Uh, if you throw in listening to a, a baseball game on the radio, I'm definitely somebody who's all in on that. So yeah, I, I think there's certainly the first level of engagement with music, which is just some, some form of, of pleasure that's often relaxing for people. It's, it's a break from, some of the stresses and challenges, trials of the day, and it allows you to maybe escape some of those difficulties for, for a moment or two uh, while you have an opportunity to take a break from, from your work or other responsibilities. So he'll say that in addition to this common pleasure, 
may music not have also some influence over the character and the soul? And this is where the discussion gets really, I think, interesting and serious. He writes, rhythm and melody supply imitations of anger and gentleness, and also of courage and temperance, and of all the qualities contrary to these, and of the other qualities of character, which hardly fall short of the actual affections, as we know from our own experience. For in listening to such, strains our souls undergo a change, end quote. And when you're reading through this, you, you take note, because he, here he's pointing to our senses. So you, sense of smell, sense of taste, a sense of sight, or, and then the sense of what we hear. And he really places music, what we hear, that sense of hearing on a very high pedestal. Because what we hear, as we were talking about last week, the music that we listen to can produce a frenzy within us or can calm us, or can encourage us. So music has an amazing power to shape the soul. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that you see very clearly in the debates that we have, maybe the battles we have within the church over music. Why, why are the stakes so high? And the debate over contemporary music versus traditional hymns versus psalms, uh, of course, some of it has to do with, with, with the music, the rhythms, and the style of music, some has to do with, with, with the words, right? Words that are taken right out of the scriptures, words that are clearly derivable from the scriptures, theologically rich and deep, or words that sound more like pop songs, right? And we recognize that there are different responses that people have. People feel like they're really worshiping. In fact, sometimes singing is called worship in some churches, right? We, we worship, then we have a sermon. Right now, and no church I've ever been to would, would, would characterize it that way. Right? The sermon is part of worship, as is prayer, as is the Lord's Supper, and other elements. But, but some places that would be a common way of describing things. Right? Worship is is the singing, which is an emotional experience primarily, and a group experience in that sense. And then you know you settle in and you hear from uh, the pastor who's preaching from the Word of God. But, but. Others would say, no, 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 that, you know, that, that, that music really has to be engaging uh, the mind, teaching us theological truths in a different way, right? The way it's more easy for us to, in, to uh, remember, you know, pastor in our old church in Exeter would always have students memorize scripture with songs, like whole books of the Bible. He would write a song. They could memorize Philippians or, uh, you know, Romans chapter 12 or Isaiah 52 and 53, he put together a song to help remember it. And, and they do remember it. And, you know, I, I remember some of it, even though I wasn't in the class, but I was hearing them sing it sometimes, little snippets of it. Whenever I read those passages, come back to me with the tune. So I think we realize that the stakes are high with respect to music. And, um, you know, those, those battles aren't always fought in, in the most Christian-like way. And there's probably room for charity on all sides. But, but I don't think it's something you'd want to say, well, it really is just a matter of indifference, so we don't have to worry about the kind of music or the, the, the words or any of those things are really tertiary matters and that we should just sort of get past all that. You really can't do that. And I think Aristotle gives us some good reasons for that here in the text. Yeah, I, this whole conversation reminds me of uh, probably the first time I learned this lesson about the importance of, of music. Uh, and that was at, at the University of New Hampshire when I was undergraduate. I took a course with a professor of philosophy of art named Dwayne Whittier. And uh, Professor Whittier 
had, as an undergraduate and graduate student, studied at the University of Illinois, uh, which is a, an incredible music program and, and band program. And he had planned to go into becoming a composer and, and then took a philosophy class and, and ended up as a philosophy professor. But he always argued that, you know, one of the things that we do that is wrong when we look at music or art is we, we fail to see that there is moral feeling quality within it uh, that, that shapes us. Uh, and that that art itself has a moral feeling quality within it that shapes us. So if if we lack that sensibility as to the power of art with regard to morals and mores, then we're going to treat art um, in, in a way that is um, is dangerous uh, mm-hmm. because you know what you end up doing is um, you treat art in a way that um, is pleasure seeking rather than informative of good character. And I just, I remember him going through that and I was like, oh yeah, and then you're listening to music as, a, as an undergraduate, right? And, you know, you have your own, uh, back then in the mid nineties, you know, it was, it was grunge. I don't think I stopped listening to it because of that, but it, it made me think about what was going on as you were making your way through, um, you know, Pearl Jam's 10 album and the anguish that that's present there. And, uh, you know, what does that produce within, your soul, um, uh, fortitude or, or, um, despair. So, uh, real, real, uh, it's just, uh, in, interesting that Aristotle, uh, touches upon this, uh, from, you know, a, a fourth century BC perspective. Um, so this brings up the question then, and that he'll go into in the next chapter, to what degree ought children to learn to, uh, sing and, and play music? So, how do you gain the right appreciation for music? Certainly an argument could be made that you gain an appreciation by learning how to play an instrument. Right? Good. So is how long do you play that instrument? And here he has an interesting uh, take on this. What, what does he say, Matt, about playing instruments and you know, whether children or not should play an instrument and the types of instruments they should play? Well, he's not too high on flute playing. And there seems to be a, a concern about the kind of music that comes out of the instrument, right? So I don't know what the modern equivalent of that would be. Maybe is it electric guitar uh, that, that sort of tends in a certain direction and the type of music that it encourages you to play. Um, it also seems to be a, a connection between being able to play the music and sing along with it. If you can't do that, that seems to be something that's less choice worthy. So you think about the modern acoustic guitar player or pianist, you know, these instruments that you, you teach a child for life, really. You know, I, I grew up playing the saxophone, which was great, really enjoyed being in jazz bands in high school and that kind of thing. But then you finish high school and unless you're going to be a professional or something, you know, you're kind of done. I mean, there's, there's not really much occasion to pull out the saxophone around the campfire. Um, here, here I was wondering, reading through this, whether you would take offense because it, it doesn't seem like Aristotle would be a fan of some of your favorite bands, you know, ABBA, the Bee Gees, <laughs> Flock yes. of Eagles. I mean, I mean, he pretty much, he takes your whole CD collection and, and sets it aside. It's, it's just gone. Which explains yeah. a lot about Matt Parks. <laughs> I don't really know where to go with that, except to say that would Aristotle like Johnny Cash, you know, yeah. would, would Aristotle think of Hamilton uh, lyrics, you know, so sure. Sure. There's, there's, there's some interesting things we could say there, but I think you know, what, what he's trying to get at is you, you want to know music. You want people to understand music, be able to appreciate music. But again, the, the connection between music and the passions is one that's fraught. 
And whether you're talking about the instruments you're teaching people to, to play or the kind of music they're going to play naturally on those instruments, that's a matter of consideration, an important one for Aristotle. Yeah, and, and here he, he says or argues that you ought to learn how to play so that you can appreciate music, but don't play beyond that point. All right. Don't become a professional performer. Don't be a musician, yeah. Because, yeah, the, the temptation when you become a professional performer is then to make music for the masses, to make music for the multitude. And he writes, uh, quote, the vulgarity of the spectator tends to lower the character of the music. So I, I was um, a panelist on a, a senior thesis presentation here at Geneva last week. And the um, student, very brave and courageous student, was making the case that we ought to turn off the Friday night lights. We ought to stop playing tackle football. And his argument was that tackling is aggressiveness or aggression. And should a classical Christian school be encouraging the type of aggression that goes into a tackle? It's really interesting presentation argument that he made. And, you know, you could say, well, is that true also of blocking and shedding blocks, right? Is, is, is that too aggressive, right? It depends upon whether you're trying to shed the block of a 17-year-old behemoth who's 6'5". <laughs> it could be quite aggressive. And, and um, but I was thinking about it, you know, after the fact, I said, you know, certainly there is, you know, something that produces within the character of uh, an individual, something that's good about playing football. But how much are we changed for the worse when we're playing football for the spectator, right? When we're looking to just kind of annihilate our enemy, not just beat him, right? Uh, uh, to, you know, just really slam our enemy so we get that great cheer from the crowd. So yeah, um, my question for the young man at, at the end of the, um, at his presentation would have been, is the problem tackling or that we live in SEC country? Yeah, that life revolves around it and, and you do it for show and you do it at a professional level to you know be on the top 10 for Sports Center or other, yeah. right? You want, you want that viral video. Um, and, and then, of course, you want to then turn that into some commercial or you know some, something for your brand that you're wanting to get out there and you know, your social media profile and all, all the rest, right? All, all, all that the spectacle that goes along with it rather than the athletic contest. Yeah. Very interesting, you know, uh, line to draw there, right? You want to know music for the sake of music, but you don't want to produce music for the sake of, of the masses. Yeah. Yeah. So that statement, I think the vulgarity, the spectator tends to lower the character blank of the music, right. Of, of, of many uh, human activities. And, you know, given the age that we live in, you know, the, we're, we're spending our lives often spectating. So the vulgarity of the spectator tends to lower the character of politics. And, and seeking spectators, right? Yeah. That's like, that's, that's the game. Either spectating yourself or you're seeking spectators. Yeah, exactly. So that I just, uh, I think it's interesting that here in a particular conversation about music, uh, that same line of arguing or paradigm could be applied to, to many things. And, and I think helps to explain uh, many things that are a little bit off um, in, in our day. Um, so uh, this leads us to the uh, final discussion that he has in chapter seven of book eight, where he talks about melody and rhythm. And he's going to uh, also talk about the mean and, and measure. 
and he introduces you know three types of, of music mixed lydian uh, which produces sadness and anguish the the dorian uh, style of music which produces fortitude and the phrygian here i go back to abba the bgs and flock of seagulls which produces <laughs> inspiration and passion and he he references socrates um at, at the end of uh of this discussion, which just could kind of uh, just once again remind you that he was he was keen on exactly what Plato was teaching, how he was utilizing Socrates to to make his case for a certain worldview, and uh, and he suggests that well, Socrates was going to allow uh, some Phrygian, uh, some inspirational or passionate um, music uh, into his city and speech, uh, as long as it was measured. Uh, but but um, Aristotle says no 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 we. The type of music that we want to use in our music education or employ in our music education is Dorian. It's one that uh, should produce uh, fortitude uh, within its listening uh, audience. And you know, here it, another thing that he brings up in this discussion that's quite uh, interesting is he brings up the god Dionysus, and uh, Dionysus is uh, in relation to. Socrates, a very, very important topic in Western intellectual history. Uh, perhaps my favorite of um, Nietzsche's works is, is The Birth of Tragedy, which is actually, the, really is The Death of Tragedy, criticizes Socratic optimism and criticizes Platonic philosophy because he, it says that, uh, he argues that Socratic um, optimism and Platonic philosophy drew away from the world the needed pessimism to understand the reality of the human experience. And you know, Aristotle here is, is going to, he's, he's, he's taking up kind of this, this broad question of what happens to us and how we ought to employ music. And his argument would be, we want a type of music that produces fortitude. He's not as much worried about Bacchic frenzy but he, he wants to make sure that we are, and this is key for the whole politics, that whatever we're doing, no matter what the, what the thing is, we need to be grounded. We need to be grounded, the, the need to be grounded, the need for music to ground us, right? The need for politics to ground us, the need for study to ground us. That grounding ought to be the end of, of music endeavor. So it's, I think it's really telling that at the end of, this great book on politics, he ends with a discussion of music and, and art um, and, and reinforces those arguments that he's been making throughout the politics. Yeah, so you end up with the kind of music maybe that we have Memorial Days on Monday, right? So uh, the kind of marches that you would associate with Memorial Day Parade is the kind of thing it seems like Aristotle has in mind, the kind of music that would help people to, to come together in a positive way that would, would encourage uh, community involvement and care um, that that would guide us toward uh, the common good, a uh, care for the polis. Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, think about where we started, right? The very opening chapters of Aristotle's politics and the end of uh, living well. And now at the end of the work, the role of education in living well, both individually and collectively, very, very interesting. I think it's something that you know, as we move on from here in our own work together, I know we've talked about doing some writing on education and thinking about that a little bit further. I think there's really 
something there for us from this this year's study of Aristotle. You know, we're 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 teaching, but we're learning, of course, as we do it. And, and I think to see the connection between between living well and education and and the preservation of the regime and the encouragement of of whatever measures we can take toward peace and the common good, all those things are, are, are tying together in interesting ways. And I, I like we've been able to go through this, you know, really, I think getting Aristotle um, and, and appreciating his, his argument uh, in its original context, the best that we're able, uh, but also along the way, thinking about a, a Christian critique of that, engaging it from a biblical standpoint and, and thinking about what's, what's different in the light of Christ, as we as we encounter these ideas on on the other side of the cross historically, mm-hmm. and so I think you know there's there's something there for us as we move on from this study to take away about education, about the life lived well, and 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 we're challenged by Aristotle to give a good account of that. You know, he's he's done in eight books. He's worked hard to give an, a good account of what it would mean to to live well individually and collectively, and whether we agree with every point or not, I think we're challenged by those questions to reflect at least as deeply as he did on, on those matters. And, and to think about that for ourselves uh, as, as you know, part of larger educational institutions, as leaders of families and involved in the community, et cetera, and you know, in the context of this podcast as well. Yeah, I think his concluding thought, uh, which ends the politics, aligns well with what you just said. He writes, education should be based upon three principles, uh, the mean, the possible, and the becoming. And I think we've seen, to his credit, that looking at politics and looking at uh, life and and looking at um, individual aspiration and community aspiration through these three things, it's an excellent kind of uh, paradigm. What we have in Christ, you know, a new vision of what's possible a new vision of what uh, the becoming is, um, you know, al- along with, you know, instruction about tempered, tempered activity, um, you know, truth and grace, right? That got mean between truth and grace as well. That's embodied in, in the person of our savior. So uh, yeah, really, I, I appreciate that we've been able, like you said, to go through this. Yep. And for you 40 or 45 folks that have stuck with it. Uh, thank you for being along for the ride. So we're going to, wrap it up for the season with de Tocqueville's crystal ball. Uh, and we'll start by going quickly over our picks from last week. So we made some golf picks for the PGA championship and did pretty well, Dave. Uh, we both got four of our five pairs, correct? So we picked between two players who would do better. Uh, we both hit on Rory McIlroy over Tiger Woods, John Rahm over Scotty Scheffler and John Daly over Sean Michael. Uh, and then you got, Brooks Kepka over Dustin Johnson, and I got Justin Thomas over Jordan Spieth. So we, we got a different four, but each four out of five. So the tiebreaker is the best finish by our predicted champion. Now, frankly, we didn't do great on this front. Uh, so you took Spieth, who finished tied for 34th at four over. Uh, and I took Colin Morikawa, who finished tied for 55th at eight over. Uh, so you win. Um, that was the one place we didn't do quite so well, but they did both make the cut. So that's something, I guess, challenging conditions out there for a few of those days. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it was a real battle of survival for Justin Thomas to get the victory in the end. All right. Well, as we mentioned on last week's show, uh, we're going to conclude 
the crystal ball this year by picking the winner of what is the most watched annual sporting event, the Champions League final uh, this year between Liverpool and Real Madrid. And so Real Madrid looking to extend its record for the most Champions League titles to 14. Uh, Liverpool looking for its second championship in four years and its third trophy this season. Uh, Both teams coming off a little bit of a disappointment last weekend. Liverpool missed out on the Premier League title by one point, and it looked like they might get it when Manchester City was down 2-0 with 15 minutes to go in their game with Aston Villa, but uh, they came back and scored three goals in five minutes, and so Liverpool missed out just barely on the Premier League title. Uh, Meanwhile, Real Madrid was expecting to get another superstar up front uh, for their team for next year, Kylian Mbappe, and uh, unfortunately for them, at the last minute, he decided to stick with his current team, PSG. So uh, we'll see how that affects one or both of them. According to 538, Liverpool is the number two club soccer team in the world, Real Madrid number six, and they give Liverpool a 65% chance of winning the match. All right, so a little bit of background there for you, Dave. With all that having said, who do you like? This is a repeat of the 2018 final, as all good soccer fans would know. That's uh, right, Gareth Bale. That's right. The brace. Scored twice that day in the 3-1 win for the Real. Uh, I think that it goes the other way uh, this time around. I'm going to go with Liverpool and, and think that um, they, they will end up with uh, three of four uh, championships this year. A two to one Liverpool. That, that 2018 Champions League final was probably the first European soccer match I've ever watched because I was in Israel and our tour guide was a huge Liverpool fan. And so he was talking about this all week. They hadn't won Champions League in a number of years. He was, he was so excited. And then, you know, it was on at some crazy hour there in Israel and they gave up two really soft goals. I mean, the goalie totally blew it. And the next day you just, you couldn't talk to the guy, you know, he was a very affable guy, but he was in no mood to talk about soccer. He didn't want to be consoled. But, but then after that, Liverpool brought in a new goalie and a new defender and really haven't stopped since all that having been said, I am going to take Madrid. Um, I think Kareem Benzema got something to prove. So yeah, we don't need anyone else to come in here and, and be our superstar. He's going to score a couple of goals and if he does get two goals, he'll tie the all-time record for Champions League goals. So I think he does that, and Madrid wins 2-1. to one. Went out there on a limb and actually sounding like you know what you're talking about. So Yeah, that's right. Exactly. More impressive. So. Sometimes we do a little research. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap it up for this show and this season. We will be back in touch about plans moving forward. But in the meantime, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Hope you've enjoyed this season. We always enjoy hearing from you. You can reach out to us at democracyinamericatoday at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and to review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again. Take care. 2020 vision.